Cool. Just want me to sit here and look pretty. Get the ladies in. Okay, we should be. We're on. We should be live on the DKP feed. Now streaming live on Facebook. Well, welcome everybody. It's the it's it's the chaos podcast in action. We um we have we have huge plans, huge. We make the biggest plans with the best words and ideas. Nobody yeah. nobody makes plans like we do. Nobody has words like we do. But they didn't come through tonight. So uh, TBD. So tonight we're just freewheeling. Uh, we thought we'd start. The title of tonight is uh, Titus is a wannabe NAR. Right. Not so, wannabe. I am NAR. I tell us tell us what NAR is and why it's being so mis, 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 misaligned and misused. I actually don't know a ton about it. We're going to hopefully do an episode on it on that Jesus podcast with Joel Nisley because apparently... Joel and Drew wrote a paper together about it, and I really worked up about it. But in my experience, NAR is a term used by people who don't like charismatics and definitely don't like super, like hyper charismatics, like Toronto blessing charismatics. And it's a way to kind of write them off and say that it's almost like a conspiracy theory because you know it's it's like there's this this really evil like movement underfoot that kind of undergirds the whole charismatic movement and it's like a boogeyman um that's my perspective of it but i honestly have not studied like it much at all except just getting frustrated at the way people have mischaracterized charismatics or written them off as nar um but you know they're written off if you don't know what nar is <laughs> i don't know like when you, when you kinda, i feel like he knows a lot for somebody that hasn't studied it at all when, when you get that, it's just kind of the vibe that the people who bring up NAR have that is off-putting to me. Um, I just get really annoyed by it because a lot of people talk about charismatics having never like really met a charismatic Christian, definitely never been in their crazy gatherings and are just weirded out and think it's either demonic or, well, yeah, mostly think it's demonic. And having been in charismatic circles for a while, like even very hyper charismatic circles, a lot of it is just kind of weird hype. If you hear some weird noise, it's Zion. Maybe I'll He's hitting the Holy Ghost. <laughs> yes, it's some holy shaking. Have you ever run pews before? What? Have you ever run pews before? Um, that, the bomber on the backs of them. That's like an old timer Pentecostal type thing. So I was more. All my experience would be with old timey Pentecostals. Hang on. Nar millennials is out of my out of my scope. We should do introductions which, here too. Which is the category we're putting Titus in now? Right, he belongs there, I think. Well, we should do introductions to uh, Titus is chasing after Zion. He's uh, if you get up and walk over there, we'll we'll call it marching design. Uh, and this here is Raphael Hertzler, uh, Anthony's little brother. Raphael's a student at Sattler, and uh, we were supposed to do something productive this evening, but instead we're on DKP. Yeah. 
Well, you upgraded your the productivity of your evening. That's the way it looks. Like. <laughs> there you go. Remains to be seen. What it, I you, like the way you're sitting back away from the camera, Raphael. You look like half half size to Matthew. Shall I come closer? It's a fun little. This is Matthew. I don't show. care. You do. I, you do. You. I can. Can I squinch your head? Hang up. <laughs> Dave, you have you have you experience go. in the holiness churches. What what was that like? Yeah. Well, see, I'm very much um, I'm a very emotional person, and so I, I grew up in a in a pretty traditional, pretty conservative um, Mennonite setting. Um, not not as straight laced as as I mean, I was it was beachy. So for those of you that you know that know the Mennonite scope, it's not, it wasn't like nationwide or anything like that, but still pretty, pretty co uh, conservative, pretty traditional. And in my teens, I ran into these holiness people that were just, um, yeah, just excited and exciting. And, you know, this um excited about being christians and excited about their faith and in in expressive ways and so that was really appealing to me um so at the age of 18 i went uh i um i interacted with them quite a bit before in fact my parents were pretty concerned there were a number of times that i actually uh secretly went to a couple services without my parents knowing because i knew um how concerned they were about me going that direction but at the age of 18 i left home went to um went to a holiness bible college and i spent the next five years there from 2004 to 2009 when i graduated and over that time and especially then even afterward kind of deprogramming de uh debriefing whatever you want to call it i got really jaded with um with the emotionalism um and and i've i've had the i've had the the exciting experiences you know i've gotten in the aisles i've uh you know run the aisles and all this kind of stuff and honestly in the right setting i'm not saying i would never do it again it's not like i think there's anything wrong with it per se but what i saw happen um in a lot of cases is the glorification of emotionalism to the point that that's what you went to the service to do and you try to create that and make that happen because that's the point. That's that's how you know God is there is because everybody's running the aisles and hollering and 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 doing all this kind of thing. And there's one morning um, it was at a camp that I went to. This is after I was married. One of the actually one of the last times we went to the camp because I we we started noticing this trend. Um, my wife and I they were having a morning service. And it really felt like the Lord was, was moving. And some people were testifying. Some people were getting excited. Maybe somebody ended up in the aisles. But to me, it felt like it was time to move on. And somebody stood up and started doing this work in the crowd kind of thing. And next thing you know, somebody's in the aisles and stuff. And I turned to Treva and I said, I feel like the spirit of God was moving. And then it was time to move on. And now this is, this is something that is it's not it's not of god it's of men and that, that that's just plain human emotion and it makes me kind of feel sick and my wife said to me i was sitting here feeling guilty because i was feeling the exact same way and i was being worried i was being judgmental so that was a, that was a confirmation almost a year later i was talking to my brother who was at that same camp that week 
and about some of the stuff. And I mentioned that I had an issue with the fact that some of these, um, some of these, you know, this, this, this focus on emotionalism. And I said, like, it, it feels like they try to stir it up. And he said, Oh, you mean like that morning when so-and-so got up and started and he referred to the exact same service almost a year later that my, that my wife and I had both felt. So, so to me, it felt like a three-way confirmation that this wasn't just something I was making up in my mind, but it was something that was actually going on. So when I start seeing like, I think emotion is a byproduct and I think it's something that should be welcome and something that we should be open to. But when we start pursuing this, um, this hyper excited, um, ecstatic, whatever you want to call it, um, experience or, or religious service or whatever, I feel like you're, I feel like you're, you're missing something. And I, and I, and I, I feel like it really does something to make, um, over time that it makes people shallow in their in their faith because they're they're looking for the fireworks and so on and they think that that's the the substance of what faith is about that's that's kind of my perspective and i saw the same thing happen with with revivalism being something where just to give a one example um our president at college said that you know he's done a lot of studies about revival and he wants to see a revival happen a powerful move of god and one of the things that he's noticed that was that early morning prayer meetings were often part of these revivals. You'll start reading stories where these people started getting together before they went to work and praying, and then God started moving, et cetera. And so he, um, he created this, uh, well, basically for the five years that I was there or most of the five years I was there, we had early morning prayer meeting that was mandatory attendance because if we can get enough people to show up at a certain time, that's early enough in the day, then that's going to make God do something. And I just, I, that's, that's borderline sorcery as far as I'm concerned that we're going to do A, B, and C, and then that's going to force God's hand. So that's, that's where I'm at. There's a real, this connects to something that I've actually been working a lot on lately. Um, I, 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 I've been, I've been talking with different ones about the issue of what, what is, what is faith? English is, is sadly um, lacking in this regard. Pistis is what we usually translate faith in the New Testament. And it's, it's a lot broader than our typical definitions of faith. Like, and our definitions of faith have mutated over the time. Um, but, but like when it says the prayer of faith shall save the sick, what does that mean? Does that mean like if we look at that formulaically, like whenever the whatever this thing is, it's called the prayer of faith is made, then then healing happens. I, I think actually the answer to that question is yes, but I think the the prayer of faith is something more than what people usually um, are are ascribing to. I, I had some recent experiences with some people and and in discussions over this issue. What I come to is that it's something I felt for a long time, but I have a way to express it now is that faith faith is not a it, it isn't believing it isn't be convincing like it's not it's not forcing yourself to think something faith mm -hmm. is is apprehending what god is doing in his spirit and so if we look at prayer as uh, when when we pray in jesus name like this is the other place where i feel like 
the charismatic end of the world is really kind of misunderstanding the terminology. When we look at what it means to pray in Jesus' name, it means to pray as a stand-in for him. It means like I'm, so I do this with my, I teach my children this all the time. I say, go upstairs and tell those children in the name of your father, be quiet. The child isn't speaking on his own behalf for in his own authority. He's coming as a representative of me in the name of the father of the Milioni clan, be quiet or go do this or do that or don't do this. They have, there's nothing there in the child. It's just a mouthpiece for, for me. And when I pray in the name of Jesus, I'm doing the same thing. I'm making the prayer that Jesus wants to make. And I think this is why Jesus always has his prayer answered and why he makes such bold promises about what it means to pray in his name. Because we're, what he's effectively saying is that when you pray in place of me here on earth, the same things that happen for me will happen for you. And, and that faith is not forcing myself to believe it or want it enough or, what, or whatever manufacturing technique there is. It's me perceiving God wants to do X. That's what he wants to do. And I'm going to collaborate with him in that. That's the difficult part of, of praying in faith is as apprehending and understanding what the spirit of God is doing. Now, it's a very different thing for me to say, God, I care about this situation and I would really appreciate if you would work or you would make this happen or you would do this thing. That's different than me saying in Jesus name, come out or in Jesus name, be healed or in Jesus name, this, that or the other thing. That's my take on it anyhow. So it's almost a, a charismatic form of in persona Christi that, that the Catholic Church has the idea that the Pope or the priest or whoever stands in the person of Christ and forgives right. sins and do these things. But you're saying that it's not something that's by virtue of an office, but as, as you pray and as you seek God, you realize that this is what God wants to do. And I'm the one here to stand in his place. Yeah. To, to bring that about. I'm the vehicle for that. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think most charismatics would disagree with that. Um, but I, I can see how like the in the name of Jesus becomes kind of like a magic incantation. It does yeah. very much. And, and the other <laughs> part of the problem is that there's no, there's, there's so little self-awareness. So if you really believe that, if you really believe that that's how faith, the prayer of faith works, and you make those kind of pronouncements, and the thing doesn't come to pass, then, mm -hmm. then you immediately have to recognize, I was not perceiving God's intentions right. And that's not a horrible thing. Uh, it's okay. But I think to mm -hmm. not recognize it is a horrible thing. To not stop and say, I, I thought God wanted to heal here, or I thought God wanted to cast out a, a, a demon-possessed person, cast a demon out of a possessed person, whatever the case may be, if I speak that way and it doesn't happen that way, then I miss something. And it's time to stop, mm -hmm. slow your roll, and figure out what's going on and why mm -hmm. you missed it. But what the charismatic crowd does instead is blames other people for not having the faith or not praying hard enough or not doing this or that, because it, it certainly couldn't have been them that that didn't bring it to pass. It must be your fault. You're not healed. Right. 
or that COVID didn't go away when they blew on the camera or whatever. So how do emotions play in, in you guys' faith? Because I don't really go to charismatic services anymore. I mean, I, I think I've been turned off in a lot of the same ways, David, you have. But personally, like in my prayer time, I'm, I'm very charismatic sometimes and not others, depending on my mood. But um, so, for instance, I, I don't look, maybe we can get into this, too, is um, my style of worship. Like, I really don't get a lot out of hymns, especially not acapella hymns. Um, so if I'm having my my time with God, I'll turn on some very loud modern praise and worship music and i'll only listen to the first two minutes and then i'll turn the song off because i don't want to hear the bridge and the chorus four or five times um but that's how i connect with god is through like this type of music and it, it actually it, it here's why i think it's it's actually me connecting with god when i'm able to experience him in worship in that way and then I go to the scriptures, the scriptures are much more alive to me. Um, it's not just like I'm getting all like worked up emotionally, but, and then the scriptures are, are dry and boring. No, it's like all my senses are suddenly awake to God. I actually want to intercede for people. I feel the heart of God for people and for different needs around the world. And, and I enjoy the scriptures when and, and often like it, I, I kind of have to make it some kind of a dramatic event. Like if I, it, as soon as we get off the Zoom call, if I just am like, okay, I'm going to go pray for 10 minutes. It probably wouldn't be that great of a prayer time because like my mind is kind of jumbled and full of everything we talked about and everything that happened today. Or if the babies are screaming, it just doesn't work well for me. But like if I'll, if I get up really early where it went or somewhat early before the babies wake up and make it like a, an, a real dramatic event. And this is just how I connect with God, I'm not saying everyone needs to do this. Um, the, the, the way charismatics worship works for me. <laughs> and so it, it is hard for me to, because if I, if I go to a charismatic church where I enjoy the, the style of worship and the enthusiasm of it, there's generally a lot of kind of funky theology that goes with that experience but if i find a kingdom church it the the worship is fairly um dreadfully lifeless in my opinion um do, do you guys experience that at all or are you big fans of um singing hymns <laughs> well i think you're i think you're um I mean, if you if you want if you want confirmation or, or affirmation that you're allowed to worship God, how it works for you. I mean, here you go. <laughs> but um, I mean, for me, him speak to me um, when I the first time in, in, in liturgy, like that's my personality. And I've realized more and more that there's a lot to worship this personality. Like the first time I went to the Anglican church, you know, that's my 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 guilty pleasure or whatever. I would look forward all week. To going to eucharist the next um the next wednesday it was a wednesday morning and in the middle of the week i'd often quote the saint quote those prayers um you know or or um you know the responsive readings or whatever because it it did something for me way down inside that the church that i was attending that had all the the bells and whistles and the the emotional praise time and all that just didn't do um what I object to 
is the what I hear from the more charismatic crowd that people like me aren't really worshiping God right because we're not, we don't have this, you know, this excitement and this, all this kind of stuff. So we just have a dead formalism because my experience, um, I'm not going to discount you. If, if that's, if that's how it works for you and that's where it is, you know, God bless you. And that's great. But it's when the judgment and I, and I felt a lot more of that judgment coming from the charismatics than I ever have felt coming from the liturgical crowd that we worship God in a way. And you guys are, are just, you know, you're not seeing it. Like that's, that's really where my big objection to charismania is, is like, this is the only way to worship. And if you don't do it this way, you're just, you just, you just have cold, a cold, dead religion for me, my prayer. Mm -hmm. And I, I struggle to pray. Like praying has never been easy for me. Partly, I think, because I'm hyperactive, and so my brain just goes everywhere, and I'm supposed to be focusing on praying. The next thing I'm thinking about, you know, whatever, that's not about praying. But when a lot of times when I'm praying is more just a, it's almost like a, a an unwinding of my mind and just starting to talk about, this is what I'm worried about. This is what's, this is what's going through my mind right now. And this, like, it's not a it's very seldom an emotional ecstatic experience to me. Prayer is a centering experience. It's something that brings me, that brings me back in relation to the way things ought to be. Cause it's really easy for me to get sidetracked with all kinds of crazy ideas and all this and that. And so praying helps me to like, yeah, I don't know how, how better to say it than, than the, the, to find a center again. So I, I think some of it's personality that, that drives some of this stuff. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I agree. And I like I've actually thought of it like I would enjoy worship services where there's more formal liturgy or you're even reading prayers like I've never been part of services like that. And I, I think I would enjoy it. And and I get that, like, there's different different worship styles for different people. So and, and I, I completely understand, like how charismatics, you know, refer to other types of Christians as not spirit filled, you know, like did you find the local spirit filled church, you know, and that, that sort of terminology. And I'm like, what you mean is charismatic. And they're like, no, no, we, we don't. We're a lot of charismatics don't like to be called charismatics. Just like Matthew doesn't like to be called Anabaptist. Um, My goodness, but, we're gonna do that here. <laughs> um, but one thing, one question I would have is so generally different churches will have different worship styles um, based on often the preferences of that church or just the traditions of that church. What I wonder is like, why do churches not have a variety of worship styles where there's some liturgy, some acapella hymns, some hymns with instrumentation, that's a grabable um, instrumentation, and then some like modern worship songs as well. Um, like, why couldn't we mix it up so that if there are different preferences in the church that everyone's needs could be met um, and that sort of thing? Why is it like I have to go to a charismatic church if I want the the loud bass in my chest and I have to go to a church with hymns if I don't want the Trump worship, you know? (laughs) Well, I think, I think uh, that's more or less what happens in the meetings that I'm a part of weekly. If that's, if that's what you're asking about, is that possible? Yes, I would say so. An average, an average Sunday for us would be, would likely include acapella chants as well as um as well as uh, why am i not surprised songs. by the fact that you're chanting in your church <laughs> <laughs> it's 
as as well as acapella songs with the guitar i mean sorry as well as worship worship songs with the guitar and djembe so um and and this is something we can talk about when finney isn't here um <laughs> we can we can handle matthew's disapproving frown <laughs> but uh yeah i mean there's no reason i and, I and i feel like that creates a really um a really wholesome um blessed experience that that encourages us all because we're coming from a lot of different cultural backgrounds and i and i would be really sad to lose you know to lose the hymns um mm -hmm. because a lot of them are very deep and they tie you back into really important things about church history but but i think um some of those very ancient ancient songs and chants and things that long predate hymns and gospel songs um well, the more liturgical parts are something I feel like we were a little bit impoverished in, um, in, in evangelical or, or, uh, Protestant influenced Anabaptist churches, those, those, um, you know, those responsive readings and prayers that you do together that you can read are, are a real, a real blessing. And I don't think and I think there's no reason why they can't coexist with, um, with, you know, spontaneous prayer and expository, um, scripture reading and, and so on. And, and so, yeah, I, I feel like listening to all those different, you know, listening to you discuss those different styles, it, it really is something that, I think as far as how we're engaged with worship, even emotionalism versus, you know, a more dry intellectual approach to, you know, being before the Lord is kind of the wrong question. What God wants of us is a holistic engagement where every part of our, uh, of us is engaged and, and, there's no need to have a dualistic view of, you know, either your mind is engaged or your heart is engaged or your body's engaged. And if one of these is, you know, if, if you're, if, if you're feeling the beat, then obviously you're not being spiritual in worship or vice versa. Um, like we are created as whole beings and, and that's, you know, I think that's something that's, in Western Christianity, there's been, especially Western Protestantism, um, there's been just a, a real, a real loss. Well, the, there's first been a breaking apart of that, you know, people in the charismatic, from charismatic people, you hear a lot about, you know, worshiping God with, from the, with the heart um, versus, you know, religion in your head or whatever. But that's actually buying into exactly the same dichotomy, the same fake splitting up of the person that that um, you know a more dry Protestant experience centered around preaching of the word, and that doesn't have any emotionalism is is and we I think I think the the answer is to put it all back together and provide outlets and permission for us to experience experience worship and to learn 
on all those levels. I mean, some people learn through, through having their bodies engaged, you know, through, through acting something out um, much better than they learn through just sitting and having something come in their ears. And, and so like for the church to be able to, to integrate all those kinds of people and those kinds of learning styles um, and those different ways of, you know, relating to worship, we're going to need to, we're going to need to mix it up a lot more than most, most of us do. I think. I think that I'm the, I'm going to play the centrist primitivist between Dave and Titus. I think for me, the, the, the goal is to recreate what it's like to sit in a courtyard with the apostles. Like the idea that I should need a rock and roll band or a bass or some kind of thumping beat to, to feel the presence of God in a space feels like something's missing to me. But so does the idea that I should need to genuflect or, or, or some kind of robes or other, you know, the nomenclature of the high church. Like both of those, I feel like miss the peasant religion of the first saints. I, I, I'm always looking for the space where you can do this anywhere without anything. And, <clears throat> and, and that's what appeals to me most, that, that the people of God are the thing that's connecting to God. Mm-hmm. here's the, here's the here's another way i would say it is that i really believe that music as an art and art generally are very very powerful tools to to cause reactions in people and i think if you and that's why i think they shouldn't be in the church and i i don't say that morally i, I don't think you're in sin if you use a guitar for worship whatever what but what i mean is that i'm always every time i'm in that environment i'm suspicious of what's who's playing the fiddle is it really the Mm -hmm. spirit of god that's moving us or or is it these other accoutrements and i like to like strip all that away and say where are we at like just as people resonating with god and find that place and those are the places that i find the most holy and the most worshipful i do consider myself a fairly (sighs) emotional person i mean i'm not i don't think i'm stably emotion but i i cry a lot I, I i pray in tongues on my own I, I don't hoop and holler a lot i'm not that kind of emotional but i feel things very deeply so so i my preference is to be in a place where all that gets shoved out of the way i don't care what you do at home i don't care about all that stuff but when we're with the saints like i want to just be in that simple place in simple rooms with simple people with not needing anything but connect with god as one well, I, well I'm, I, probably closer, ahead, I'm probably closer to you than you think, because to me, the, what, what draws me to it, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the stained glass and the architecture and the robes, like, that's all cool and whatever, but, but what, like, I could do without that, but it's the, it's that form, it's that liturgy, like the, the great, um, what is it? the uh, the opening lines um i like it in the i like it in the old uh 1692 book of common prayer the best where the the officiant says the lord be with thee and everyone says and with thy spirit lift up your hearts we lift them up unto the lord let us give thanks to the lord our god and they respond it is right uh it is right to give him thanks and praise and he says this is very meet right and our bounden duty that we should in all times and all places give thanks unto thee O lord almighty ever living god that that 
response and the there's there's something about the the words and the it's it's like slipping on an old pair of shoes that that's familiar and comfortable and and it, it just it does something to you so all the other stuff i could do without but that the liturgy to me is what um the beauty of those words especially because it, the way it connects you over centuries is um is is really what speaks to me i guess i can get there with with music we we were we were using an old eucharistic hymn yesterday um from 275 and there's something about the antiquity of to know that something's been meaningful to christian people for so long but the the struggle i always get into whenever we whenever we encroach on 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 a liturgical environment is that i don't i don't interface or interact with any of my other relationships that way like when i try to think about trying to relate to my wife or my children in a liturgical form it looks like death. Like if I was to say, oh, beloved wife of mine, how art they, thy and thine children this day? Every day I came home from work, like, and we had a little ritual out of that. I wouldn't consider that a healthy thing. <laughs> That's so funny because like, I have so many things that I say to my wife, the exact same words, no. the exact same way. Like, that's not not in a ritualistic way but just because that's the way i am right now i have this thing where pascal uh pascal was used to be when he was younger used to be super into pj mass if you know what that is but anyway it was this kids kids thing on youtube and other places anyway one of the characters is romeo so i got calling him romeo and so now probably at least two or three times a day i'm like hey hey where you at romeo if that's your name that's not my name you know and it's this it's just this thing that i do um so like that actually there's something about that where i love predictability and my wife sometimes already knows what i'm gonna say for you to say it because i've said it so many times so that's um like uh yeah i i have this thing with pascal where i'll where i'll tell him you know I say, I love you. And then he says, how much? And you say, you know, 1%, no, a million percent. And it's something we do a lot. Like, so to me that even a, a rituals like that means something. And it's not like we have to do it or else, but, but it's a, to me, ritual is a, can, is a, is a valid form of interaction. And I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not completely neurotypical that, that that appeals to me so much but there so it is dinner, so your dinners are all scripted out i'm assuming no i didn't say i didn't say that but i'm i tend to be very scripted so i want to i want to argue with matthew a little bit here so surprise surprise <laughs> imagine that so you don't no believe one saw it coming you don't believe in the regulative principle, so you can't uh, you can't use that for instrumentation. But I'm assuming that you're just yeah. trying to follow the example of the early church, and you have some practical reasons. But it's not but, even that. Okay, that, what is it? It, it? It's just that worship is is something that's essential to the people of God. Like to be His is to be capable of worship, and true worship at that. And so I think that the, the, the crux, the center of what the experience of worship is, is, is the interaction between God and his people where they recognize who and what he is. 
that if I was to distill worship, it would be that when his people recognize him for who and what he is. And mm-hmm. I, I think I mean, it's just it, in line with that. I don't think that those other things can't be worship, but those other things can be something other than worship. I Whereas agree. if you're dealing with just the people and just their God, it's either worship or it's not. I agree, but I just don't think that's enough of a reason to say let's not use those those other tools. Well, the reason to not use those other tools is because they are objectionable to some people. Like I, I spent well, a lot of years. I'm a lot more. I'm a lot more well versed in music and art and a lot of things than I was as a new Christian. But but if our if our churches are mixed, what what my premise has always been is. Let's get down to the things that, that matter to all of us. If you, have, if you need a drum beat to find Jesus, we'll do that on your own time. But let's stick to the things that we're all in common about so that the experience of worship is in common, so that we're all at the same place. So if you want, if you want drum beats and Dave wants a genuflection every third syllable, then do that on your own time. Let's do the things that we all accept as worshipful. See, I really I like that because that cuts that cuts to the heart of the worship wars and it says because people because that's always been one of my arguments is uh, in favor of denominationalism as opposed to more of the ecumenical approaches is simply different people you know we have the tituses who want to drum beat well drum beats give me a headache like the music gets so loud i have sensory issues and the music gets so loud and i and i'm like spongebob i'm a head out like i just I'll do it if I'm visiting a friend or I'm with them because they want me to come to their church. But for myself, that, that is absolutely not, you know, and then other people, Matthew, you know, somebody goes and pulls out the incense, man, Matthew breaks out in hives and it's not just his allergies, you know what I'm saying? So, to, so, so to my argument has always been, well, let's, well, let's just have four churches. Matthew can go to his church and I can go to my church but your approach, Matthew, says let's cut out all the stuff that is not the core essential thing. It's like the Walden of worship, if you will, to cut, to cut away all the, the extraneous stuff. Then nobody has anything objectionable. We can come together and worship. And if a couple of people want to go on Tuesday afternoon and burn their incense, you don't care. Right. Yeah, I'm not, sure. I'm not sure that that's what you're doing though, because if you're singing acapella hymns from a hymn book, that's you're you're very much worshiping yeah. God in a very culturally bound way. Like I don't think it's mm-hmm. possible to escape that. So what I what I do agree with you is that if if something is objectionable in your local church, yeah, you need to get your heads together and figure out what's a way to worship God mm-hmm. that doesn't offend anybody and that everyone can worship together in. Um, but I don't think that's going to look the same for every church. Like, I don't think that, I don't think that acapella hymns is, is like the, the vanilla necessarily. It might be the, yeah, the baseline. Exactly. <laughs> oh, baseline. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do that on purpose, but it was good. <laughs> yeah. But that's a very, like, that's a very European conception of what the default worship is a white not, European. Not if you make it, not if you make it not if you make it singing the psalms that's that's as old as the jews yeah but so so is that what you're pushing for in your local congregation is that you limit it to the psalter we we don't limit it to the psalter we but we do limit it to to just god's people singing 
but I don't care what form that takes. I don't care if you're singing the Psalter or hymns. I don't care if you're singing worship choruses. I, I mean, we do all of the above. It's just that I feel like the extra stuff that gets in the way is left on the side. Let's just go back to us singing to God. But I like, yeah, I, I, I think that still breaks down because there are people who don't like worship choruses because they repeat themselves too often. And there are people who don't like hymns because they're, you know, dead people 200 years ago that doesn't speak to me where I am right now. And there are people who don't like anything but Psalms because they're, you know, the scripture says to use Psalms um, in worship. And, and so like, I don't, I don't, I don't see how that's an achievable, like if we're going to say all Christians in the world, we're going to boil it down to something that offends no one. Um, and that's going to be what we allow in worship. Like, I, I don't understand how don't, you do that. That, that. That's not my ambition. I feel like you're, you're resorting to an argument of the beard. Like uh, I, I'm just saying we know that some things are add-ons and we know that the essence of worship is God's people having a moment with God, recognizing him. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing, those are the essential components. So but stick you, to those essential. Now, I don't care if you add, I, I don't care what other groups do or whatever, but I'm saying if we're discussing what makes worship worship, let's figure that out and do that well. That should be the base. Like, and I feel like if you're looking at your average high church or your average charismatic church, it, that whole principle is inverted on its head. Like, there's all this other stuff. And maybe when you dig through that pile, you'll find what's at the center of worship. So, so here's, I, I'm, I'm just like, I, th I think one thing that hasn't come up here is like the context in which all of this is happening. It's, it's a big, the, like if you're the, the difference between um, the difference between singing acapella hymns and like singing a few worship choruses with with a uh, you know with some sort of percussion and a guitar, both of these happening around someone's living room in a small group of you know unassuming people, like the difference between those two things, the gradient between them is far smaller than the difference between either of those things For sure. and a polished corporate worship experience put on you know as as entertainment at a mega church. I, I don't. Um, know. So, so in the one case, like, yes, I would say if you're, if your service, I mean, we had lots of churches that ran into this, this past summer, they depended for the life of their church on a production that could only happen if you had, you know, a minimum of 5,000 people in the building or whatever. Right. And so a mandate to, you know, have groups smaller than a certain size was just, you know, the, the boot on the boot being set right on the church and crushing it out of existence so um in like I, I just don't think that idea i mean i think that's a sound idea i agree with you on the idea that we shouldn't attach things to worship that make it impossible or that aren't aren't accessible to everyone or that aren't accessible to 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 simple people in a simple place you know without it, sh it shouldn't require a lot of money or a lot of production. Um, but. So we got lasers really... and fog machines on the out list. Is that where we're at? What's that? Lasers, La lasers and fog, fog machines. machines. 
Well, well, here's here's the the difference. Here's what I think is there's actually a distinction here between a dependence on something and using it when you have it to 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 create variety and and different you know different forms of engaging with truth. Um, because, I mean, there's a difference, for instance, between sitting down at a banquet and eating a delicious dessert, or being addicted to sugar, where you know, you can't enjoy your food unless it's super sweet, or, you know, you can't enjoy being with people in a, on a social occasion unless there's coffee. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to target Matthew here. I'm you just, left off preaching. You're going to, you're going to Medlin now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so what I'm it's saying is, yeah, alone, you, God, God wants us to enjoy the good things in this life without being addicted to the to the things that to all the things that make life sweeter and i think the same thing is true of worship if we don't like our meetings go on every bit as well if we don't have a guitar or nobody brought a djembe but when it's there you know we use it for you know one or two or three of the songs and the others we don't like i i think I think it's possible to fulfill if, if I think I understand the heart of what you're saying, it's possible to fulfill that of keeping worship simple, unassuming and keeping it non-dependent on, um, you know, paraphernalia and, and still not have to, like, I think there's two different questions, keeping it simple and unassuming and accessible or trying to not offend anyone who might show up. Right. Um, but, so, but so yeah, cer about, certainly in the local congregation, we need to we need to be in agreement and at peace with what's happening. So we should talk about David's harp. Who's bringing the harp? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk about that. Um, what what do you do with the, the Old Testament worship with instrumentation? Because there's clearly no passages in the New Testament that say, "Hey, look, back then instrumentation was great in worship," but. But I say unto you, worship Bella. You know, it's just not there. Uh, yeah, the old was passing away. Yeah. Until the Trumps come. Right. Uh, a cappella isn't really my axe to grind. I, I, that's, mm -hmm. that's not really my big, my big deal. I, I, I mean, when I think of... When I think of what it's like to to meet with the church in a persecuted environment or uh, or, or or on the DL in some some tense environment or in the middle of a crowded place or you know all those things that our church was born into, uh, I, I just imagine a simpler worship, but. I don't think there's anything wrong with instruments. In fact, I, I, I rather consider myself a fan of the arts. I, I love music and I love the arts generally. I don't, I don't take any exception to that. I, what I do relish is the simplicity of, of God's people reaching mm -hmm. out in unison to God. That, that's what, mm -hmm. I guess maybe if we're talking about styles of worship, that's the thing that really gets me. And I don't care if they're singing a chorus or a hymn or a psalm or what or chant I, I could get into chant i suppose mm -hmm. but i i like what feels the the most resonance with with what god's after out of his people is 
just the heart cry of, of the saints reaching out to the heavens. That's the stuff that moves me. But I don't, you can play your guitar, Titus. It's cool. I actually don't play. I, I grew up beachy, so, and now I can't motivate myself as an adult. Well, just get really good with the pitch fight. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's in line with your heritage. <laughs> so, so do you draw, do you draw a distinction then? Like, I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, about what worship is. So my, my brother and I like to sing together. And to me, I consider that a, a worship experience, but it's not the same as corporate worship, but then some of the lines get kind of blurred. So I go and invite him down and, and I call a bunch of my friends from church and say, Hey, we're getting together Tuesday evening, bring your, you know, your cornet flute, heart, psych, butt, soldier, dulcimer, and all kind of music. And let's, you know, let's have a, you know, bring some songbooks or whatever and have a time singing. Get a holy like, hope down yeah so at what point like we talk about worship and you say it's fine do that in your own time but like that's that's a form of worship too how 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 are you drawing a distinction between those two i, I don't no, know it's not, a, do. it's not a gotcha i'm just yeah. I, I don't know that i do i think so like if i i can sit and play guitar and feel like it's worshipful with my children mm -hmm. or by myself i i that's not the distinction I'm trying to make. I think, I think what I'm trying to do is define where, where should the church be? What does corporate worship look like? What are we after? Like when we're coming together on Sunday, what's the reason that we're spending some of that time to worship together? What are we after? Is that, is that, is that, is it primarily for, for my emotional state? Is it to set me, because that's, I don't know that it's invalid to set me in a, in a disposition where I'm seeking for and open to the spirit of God, maybe, I don't know. But, but what I think the real point is, is this like, what I wanna see in the church is what I see in nature. Like this reflection of God's glory. Like the way that the flower opens, the way that the, the, way that the, the forest smells in the rain, the way that spring blushes forth. Like that's what I think of as the church worshiping. Like, this reflection of his glory in his in his world and and there's i i don't know that we have to be super closed about how that looks but i but i'm always I, I think suspicious is the word i use when it's when it's lost the simplicity of what that can look like mm -hmm. well i think this that like yeah there is just always a, a it's always a good time to put in a plug for small intimate Amen. Um, always house churches because, because be that has to happen yeah yeah we ought we ought to i we i mean we don't want to get into dead tradition again <laughs> here but but uh the you know what do you do when matthew is calling for mantras every episode <laughs> but yeah but the but i guess yeah i mean all of these things just tend to happen much more now like that that's the environment for that to happen for for people's hearts to be like kind of able to open up and for us to be to be honest before the god and each other um and and speaking of like needing a lot of trappings to make something happen like if you know if you need to have 50 to 100 people present sitting in rows facing forward and you know two or three people have prepared something they can talk about for 30 minutes at a time um 
or you can't have church, um, then then you've you've probably complicated it a little too much. Mm-hmm. Someone mentioned John D. Martin. Um, he has a few thoughts about worship. Maybe we could get him on here. <laughs> we should. We should have him. But I don't. I, he's all, probably also got thoughts about Zoom. <laughs> He's, he's not not for the faint of heart when it comes to this topic, that's for sure, or most <laughs> topics. No. no, he's a man who knows what he believes. I think the last time I heard him talking about it, he was disparaging the fact that we use so many gospel songs in our meetings. Who's we? The churches. Matthew, did you just lump and yourself in with Anabaptists? I was overhearing. Yeah. I, I, oh, good save, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, I um, I just wondered because I thought I was wondering if he's targeting followers of the way directly. Our Anabaptist churches is what Matthew meant. No, this would have been That's... back at Kingdom Fellowship, I think. I think last time I heard him talk right. about it. There you go. There you go. But I, I'm I'm guessing he'd be all in favor though of of the like the Orthodox chants because those those speak deeply to the spirit and um, and they're old, you know. So what do you want? Yes, yes. We'll have to hit him up next time I see him. I'll ask him about chants. Can you do a chant for us, Anthony? I've never heard an Orthodox chant in my life. I don't think. Well, I, I'm not a I'm not a cantor or whatever they call that, so you know I'm not qualified. I usually do them with with the church. I feel like it, it counts more if you're doing it as a body. So I'm it's probably not going to buy you corporate. I don't know that it sounds. I don't know if you can chant by yourself. It kind of defeats the purpose. Well, you you can. There are traditions where that happens, um, mm-hmm. and in an Orthodox service, of course, like everything is chanted, and there are people who chant solo. Um, the scriptures are all chanted, um, and which, which, frankly, speaking of you know accessible worship experiences, chanting the scriptures doesn't do it for me. Um, but, but you know, I suppose if you were used to it, that would speak to you the same way, um, and maybe you know get into into your mind at a subliminal level that it doesn't if you're just hearing it read. But yeah, any, in any case, it. yeah, I'm not going to chant for you tonight. We have a bunch of questions. I don't know if we want to get into them at all or Rafi has any profound thoughts for us. You have any profound thoughts on worship? Not much. I I find the more liturgical worship that's found in high churches to be very meaningful. I also find hymn singing in a small house church to be meaningful and I also find more modern CCM-type praise and worship to be meaningful, so be well-rounded. Nathan, Nathan Mast asked in relation to what you were saying, Matthew, about praying in Jesus' name, why do you think it isn't God's will for someone to be healed if they aren't healed after the first prayer in Jesus' name? Even Jesus had to try twice to heal the one blind man. So kind of a good point, I guess. Yeah, it is. I, I, there is some kind of interplay between between belief and faith, and I, I don't claim to have all the answers to that. I, I do think, though, whatever the case is, if if 
if if we're operating in what we perceive as faith and it doesn't it doesn't turn out that way there's a reassessment in order maybe the reassessment is i don't know maybe there's times when the reassessment is go back at it but but a reassessment well and there's 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 and there's different types of I, I think maybe we were talking about a couple of different things, right? Uh, not distinguishing because there's in the charismatic world there's a lot of a lot of teaching, um, especially with the NAR, um, that if you that you make things real by speaking them, right? And if that is the case, and you say, "Thus says the Lord, this shall be," and then you and then you pronounce something to be a reality that's coming to, that's going to come to pass. And that doesn't happen. That's something very different than asking the Lord for something that you, that you believe to be his will. When you're, mm -hmm. when you are taking on the mantle of the mouthpiece of God and you are in a context where you've told people that when you in the name of Christ say things are so they must be so. Um, and then those things don't come to pass your entire framework has failed you. Um, that's some, you know, and that's, that's a difference. And, and you need to acknowledge that or just continue living a lie, pretending things are so that aren't so. That's superstition where new evidence does not alter your, you know, there's nothing that can shake your view of how things are because you're not incorporating evidence into your, into your claims. Um, but so there's there's another humbler way of praying in faith where you're you're counting on the character of god and you know i may even believe that he's revealed to me that he's going to do something but if i speak in his name and say that something is going to come to pass based on that revelation then i need to confess and repent of of basically misleading other people about the about the word of god that I said he was giving through me um, if, if that thing doesn't come to pass. And I probably need to wait a long time and make sure that my equipment is calibrated correctly before I, before I begin pronouncing revelations like that again. Mm -hmm. I, my, my, my intention is that I feel like there's a, people, people end up in, in two places. They end up in a place of cognitive dissonance and and where they have to pretend like something isn't that is like Trump is really the president, like that cognitive dissonance uh, that people work themselves, they paint themselves into a corner by, mm -hmm. by their principles about what it means to be in faith or to pray in faith or to say something in faith or, or, or they end up like you end up in a crisis moment. I've seen it again and again, where you're just, you're just desperate to make yourself make it work like uh -huh. i i've got to get to the place where i'm believing enough that that it comes to pass and i think it misses the whole point when and what it always is taken out of context is jesus was not able to do many mighty things because of their unbelief well jesus was still the one doing the stuff they, they didn't give him room to do what he wanted to do that's the unbelief the, uh -huh. but 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 i want uh i want my 
child not to have cancer or a Lamborghini or whatever in between. And if I just convince myself that I believe that that's true enough, then it will happen is not how faith works. And it sets people up for really hard crashes, especially mm. where, where people's lives are involved. And that's what I think is dangerous about those movements is that when you, when you invest everything, all every ounce of your spiritual vitality into trying to make yourself believe in the healing or believe in the money or believe in the whatever, and that's not actually what God is trying to do in that place, the crashes that come down from that are mm -hmm. really, really hard. And it's, it, it, it ruins people's faith. It, I just, had, yeah, it destroys um, the faith of novices in particular. Yeah. yeah. To watch that happen. Right. I, I had a situation. I may have told this story before. I'm not sure because um, I've done a lot of thinking about that as far as um, this idea that somehow we can is actually something that that with a lot of my Mahoney's people that I would hear them say things. In fact, there was one song when I was uh, that I remember somebody singing while I was there. It had the line in it. Faith and prayer put God to work for you. Um, and I about, yeah, I just, uh, about came out of my skin on that one, but this idea of bombarding heaven, making God, that, that was a term I'd hear too, people bombarding heaven as if we got to somehow get God by the, by the throat or whatever, and drag him down here. And here's the problem now fix it. Um, and that we have to somehow contort ourselves and believe hard enough. Um, I had a, I had a friend I went to college with that died of cancer and there were literally thousands of people that prayed for him. There was organized fasts for him there was people believing and i went down through the litany of reasons why prayers aren't answered that we always hear is the excuses given why the prayer wasn't answered is because you didn't have enough faith because there's sin in your life or because you didn't or or because it wasn't fasting and you know some of these things don't have a fasting prayer and he checked all the boxes you're going to tell me out of those thousands of people there wasn't one person that that could pray in faith i mean there were hundreds of people that fasted and all this stuff and he still he still died so i was like obviously there's something missing in this this pervading view of prayer and mm -hmm. um the, the the conclusion that i came to was that sometimes god wants to do stuff and sometimes he doesn't and we don't know we don't know which those are and so part of it's having a listening ear to know when does god want me to step in to be that that whatever you want to call it conduit or whatever that god says here's a moment when i want to work i want you to do that and that's why we're praying is because this might be the time where God wants to work. And if we don't, he said, you don't have because you don't ask. So let's be asking and being there. And um, we had a situation where I had a coworker that was a, that was a, uh, a free bleeder, uh, hemophiliac. And he had, um, he had a bleed in one of his joints. It was either his ankle or his knee. I don't remember which that went on for five days and it was excruciatingly painful. He was on crutches. Um, he had shots that cost uh, about $1,500 or $2,000 a piece. He'd taken two of them and this bleed just wouldn't stop. And um, one day I got off, I was working night shift. I got up the next morning. Um, and as I was walking through the room, I just felt the prompting from God. I felt like that, um, you know, lay hands on him, pray for him and anoint him. And so I said to him, I said, Jeremy, I said, I, I feel like, I feel like if, if you're open to it, I feel like the Lord is, is, is leading in this direction. So um, me and one of the other coworkers laid hands on him, prayed for him, anointed him. And I came back to work that afternoon. He was off his crutches. Like it was a, um, 
And within within hours, the bleed stopped. The pain was gone, and it was it was it was it was pretty neat to see. But it wasn't this. We have to work up our faith, or we have to have to get a line somehow, or jump up and down, or say the right words. It was just here's something God wants to do. He just wants us to open the door and let him work. And it's not because, you know, it's not because I had a, a, an especially fiery worship time that morning that, you know, I was like a lightning rod, just ready to, to pull something down from heaven. It, it, it was God's work. I just happened to be the one that God said, Hey, I want you to pray for this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, right. yeah, go ahead. That's exactly my point. And I, I, I hope that people don't misunderstand that. I think these are, are rare or or untouchable moments. I, I do believe that God does these things and I think he does them currently. Uh, I, I just think that like in the case of like, there's, I, I've been looking into this whole spiritual warfare, at, which actually is a NAR movement stuff, even though you don't believe they exist, Titus. There is a bunch of trash with this NAR stuff about devils behind every bushes and every temptation and every action. <clears throat> and um none of that's how it works like I, I believe i believe in exorcism i believe there's supernatural forces that uh, that that possess people's lives but i also believe that those people are disconnected from reality by and large they don't live in the normal world and i don't believe that you wrestle and fight with them every example we see mm-hmm. in the bible is in the name of jesus come out it's not wrestling it's not fighting it's not you know, it's not learning a bunch of formulas, right? It's just that I have, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Mm -hmm. And from time to time, that clash of, of, of powers is manifested in the people of God, but it's not. Have you ever cast a demon out of someone or seen it happen? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Cause I never have. I've, I've seen it tried before, but what, what was it like for you? Well, I'll tell you two experiences since we're talking about this. I was going to get off, but I think this is worthwhile. I, the first, I, I used to run into Eric and I, when we first got saved, we were, we were street kids, you know? And so I didn't, I didn't think anybody should, would, or could listen to us, but homeless people. So that's where we went. When we got saved. We just went to the streets and um, told people about Jesus. And so, you know, the line between mental health and drug abuse and, um, and, and, and supernatural problems is a fine line and hard to discern sometimes. But there was a woman um, in our early days that I was sure had a devil and she would, she would manifest that devil. I mean, she, I, I, I'm not sure that she didn't have mental health problems as well, but she had states of normal and states of non-normal. And um I, I was just a kid. And so I called around and asked everybody what I should do and how to deal with this thing. And it was like long prayer meetings and convince her to close the doors that she's open to the devil in her life. And you need to help her renounce X, Y, and Z and all this stuff. And we would have these long drawn out prayer meetings and she'd be puking in a corner and then she'd come back the next day, just as bad. And it was like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And it was always like, it was my whole life, Eric and I's whole life for weeks at a time. 
And I finally just like, I quit, I, I quit calling people and I quit reading books. And I finally was like, well, how is this supposed to work in the Bible? And I found this, this testimony, like Paul and, and the apostles and Jesus, they don't do any of this stuff. They just say in the name of Jesus, come out and they come out. So I, she moved on. I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with her, but through that experience, what I realized is that I do think she actually was demon possessed. And I do think she was, she was just spinning the wheels of the church. Like that woman that was following Paul around, which is also instructive. You know, he's not, he spends three days putting up with that before he deals with her. It's not something they're eager. It's not like they're just chasing down anybody they think has a devil so they can deal with it. He spends mm-hmm. days with her pestering him until he finally deals with it. But so what I told, what I told the Lord then is like, I'm not doing that anymore. I, I'll, I'll pray for people. I'll try to help people wherever I can, but God, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight with these devils. If you want to do something, you tell me. And if it's, if, and if it's, if I can come in the authority of Jesus Christ and say, come out, I'll, I'm here for you. I believe in that power. I'm, I'm a willing mm-hmm. and able servant, but I'm not going to do this stuff the other way. And it was probably a year or more later, it was somebody that I, there was a, the one, the house just south of my house it was i lived kind of in an industrial area of town and um, the one house south of me was a crack house and there were people i always felt like that was my personal mission like if i could break through that house i could it would be a key to getting through that whole area but um that's where i saw both healing and and exorcism one time this kid came up we were having outdoor meetings right beside my house and he was dancing around and he would probably was on drugs, but I also felt like he was, he had a devil. He was also speaking in tongues, strangely enough. And, um, and I didn't, when he walked in, I watched, I was standing in the back and a lot of the, a lot of the faithful saints there got down on their knees and started praying. I don't, I don't even think all of them saw him. They just knew something was up. It was like gospel meetings. And so I went in the back and I put my arm around him because he was dancing around in the back, making a scene. And I just put my arm around him and walked him to a seat and sat him down. And he was all gowed out and, and flipping out. And I just prayed and I said, God, I don't know what to do with the situation, but if you, I'm here, whatever you need. And I felt like the spirit of the Lord said, cast out that devil. And so I leaned over in his ear and very quietly, I don't know anybody, but him heard me. I said, in the name of Jesus, come out. And he sat bolt upright, his eyes cleared, like he'd just woken up. And I said, listen, man, I knew his name. I forget it now. But I said, I feel like God's doing something in your life right now. And I feel like he's giving you a chance. But I also feel like it's really important that you take this seriously because you might not get another one. I don't know what God's doing, but you need to listen. And and it was gospel meetings and the the preacher was a friend of mine he started he started really laying it on heavy with the gospel and and towards the end of that meeting he just started rocking again and saying no i can't i can't i can't i don't want to i don't want to and then and then he was gone again then he went right back into that state that he'd been in before now i don't know if that was i assume that was the spirit of god because it worked but I hate to think of the fact that he's seven times worse than he was, but what happened after that meeting is that he went back to being all in his unclean spirit and went in the back and, and then the younger brothers came around 
And they were like, hey, we need to have a prayer meeting with him. We need to sit, we need to be up all night fasting and praying with him. And I was like, guys, it's not, don't, it's not worth it. I'm telling you. And I basically explained this whole thing to them. They, I don't know what they did, but I, I've had a few experiences like that. And I think that's how it's supposed to work. And I think that's what I mean by just like Dave's story. It's not about making it happen. It's about recognizing what God wants to do and collaborating mm -hmm. with his spirit. That's the place where these works happen. We make stuff so complicated and all try to systematize everything and kind of to circle back to what we talked about in the beginning, which is that when well, you talk about the prayer of faith, well, the faith, faith is in trusting him, not in, not in some type of complex system that if I jump through these hoops and stuff, then I can put God to work for me. It's right. Lord, as, as, as Paul said, when he got knocked off the donkey, <laughs> what will thou have me to do? Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and 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 you know the fact like, like <clears throat> it, it seems like people want to push you into one you know one camp or the other you know either you're a cessationist god doesn't do miracles or hardly ever and we probably won't see one or else you have to be able to just count on miracles whenever you think you need one uh -huh. and 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 most of us if we've walked with the lord for a while you know, in, in a, in a committed body of believers who's actually doing God's work, we're going to, we're going to see, see, uh, you know, unmistakable miracles at certain points. Um, and, but what those, you know, one of the, one of the ways those should work in our lives is to let us know that when we don't see a miracle, it's not because God couldn't, it was because he had a reason not to, um, you know, because the fact that he does miracles when he wants to demonstrates that, you know, that, that he's, that he's in charge of the world. Um, like that's one of the affirmations, especially the people who are weak in faith can have is that like, I know that at this point, God was active in this situation and it was unmistakable. So I can trust him for this next situation, even if I don't see him moving. Um, so I think that's one really you know, a good way to understand an experience of miracles, not that this now has to become what's normal, but that it's something that God does when it's time to strengthen the faith, strengthen our faith when we're maybe weak. Um, I think miracles often are done at times when people's faith is weak, not when their faith is so incredibly strong. Um, and so, and, and, and that's one of the reasons I think we see a lot of miracles in places where, you know, unreached people groups or whatever, um, where people don't have any reason to believe the message that you're bringing. You're just a guy bringing a message and, and like you don't have a foundation for them to believe that your belief system or your framework of reality is better than whatever they've already got. And God often does miracles in those sorts of situations to just break through and say, look, there's, there's power here. Um, there's a power here that's bigger than what, what's already working in this situation. And, you know, I could transform you and your community. I, I, I think there's a real danger of trivializing miracles too. I, I, I think of miracles as God breaking the rules. And I don't think mm -hmm. that that's, without cost to him. I, I think that it does mm -hmm. something in the world to produce a miracle. 
I think it messes up the order. Like God is a God of order. Mm -hmm. He's God of anything. And he's breaking order. He's like creating a little moment of chaos in the world where nothing's working the way it should. And I don't think that that comes without a cost to the divine, at least to his order. And, and when you think about, you know, and I, so I get, I don't like this kind of like trivializing of the miracle. I, I feel like there's an economy of God that gets disrupted in, in the miraculous, not, not least of which, because it, 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 it takes our responsibility out of the world. Like wherever he steps mm -hmm. in and breaks his own rules, he's letting the church off the hook in a lot of important ways. Like whether, whether it's health or food or some, you know, wherever there's a lot of places where miracles are appealed to, it's something that the church should have been involved in already, or at least in the long term needs to stay in the fight about, you know, whether that's feeding the poor or healthcare or whatever the case may be. And so I, I think that we shouldn't undersell miracles and trivialize them. They, they sh they're costly. It's kind of like when it's kind of like when you're as a parent and you step in to bail your kids out and you look at them and say, "I shouldn't have to do this." Right. <laughs> I shouldn't have to be yeah. dealing with well, this. Well, and here's and here's a you know an example that just comes to mind off the top of my head of of this difference is Jesus. You know, did a couple of at least a couple of miracles where he manufactured massive amounts of food for a crowd of people that was there to hear the word. Well. After Pentecost, the church grew by leaps and bounds, and you had a lot of people with needs for food. Um, and the church's response to that was not to, you know, get up in the gathering. Oh, the widows, you know, the Greek, the the Hellenist widows are being neglected, so we're going to all pray, um, and it, and we're going to just bring some loaves and break them up and hope for them to multiply. Right. You know, their answer was to appoint some people that were full of the spirit of God. Notice that like, this is not an alternative to the spirit. Right. These are, we get people that are full of the spirit to make sure that the resources are distributed. Well, that's, that's the rules. That's the default for how God works in the world. Because yeah, it's a better long-term result than, than breaking the loaves. And this, well, because ultimately, ultimately God wants us to rule on his behalf. That's, you know, that's the framework mm -hmm. within which this happens. He doesn't want us to be like pawns, just figuring out how to pull the right switch so that the right. divine breaks in. He wants us to be avatars of him right. um, presenting his, presenting his, you know, he, acting the way he does in the world. And so that he can watch his generosity and his propensity to bless and his, ingenuity and creativity all being replicated and, and expanded and multiplied in our lives yeah this this just this just put a finger on something that has been a major a major frustration that i've had with the with the charismatic travel with some of my with my experience with uh with the holiness people um specifically but even with that in general this God is a miracle working God thing um, is what feels to me like a massive cultural glorification of irresponsibility where mm -hmm. I actually was talking to, to somebody about, a, um, about the school that I attended, one of my friends. And I was like, well, if they would do this and they would make some, maybe some investments and, and they would work on creating this, they could get to the point where they were, where they were actually solvent rather than completely 
um, all the time just scraping bottom and barely getting by. And he's like, well, we would never want to be solvent because, you know, then that's then that takes away the need for faith that God's going to provide. And that was that was intensely frustrating to me because I believe I believe that the Bible teaches that we shouldn't be tempting God, that God bails us out sometimes when when we when we're in a problem and we need it, but we don't go and put ourselves in situations for God to bail us out. Like that's like my responsibility is to be the person who God can use, or at least to, to live my life in such a way as a steward of my, the resources I have that I can help the other people that God needs to help. Like that's, I, that, that's one of the things that I strive for. Um, I'm not saying that's everybody's calling, but whatever. Um, and, and so that idea that, that we as, as stewards and as, as people that God has given talents, resources, whatever, that our job is to use those and to organize those in God's order to, I, I really like the idea of the, the standing in God's place as his, as his avatar doing his work in the world rather than this, um, this, this priest figure that, that just calls down magical power from time to time as a, as, as the need arises and doesn't deal with the underlying, I, I think that's my big, I think you summed up Matthew, what my big frustration and Anthony too, with this focus on miracles is, is it feels like it's an attempt to escape responsibility. Right. Well, he made his world to work. Yeah. Well, think- and, and, and there's, there's a, a, just one other thing I'd like to say quickly on that is that, this leads to a whole other discussion that which we should have sometime but i think this is a lot of what's involved in the whole idea of glorification god wants to glorify us um you know by working through us and it's it's about it's about like what what brings god glory what is it that his his glory it's the fact that he is so creative and so unbelievably giving and he's just this wellspring of abundance all the time um and so and you know there you could talk about what all that includes for a long time but he's he's trying to 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 see us grow into the mature to represent that more and more and that's what glorification is about that it becomes harder and harder to distinguish our work from the work of god because it's the same work and that's also why, you know, that's also a lot of what's involved in praying according to his will. It's not, I uh, hear something I need, and therefore, you know, I ask for it and God gives it to me, even though I think, especially early in our spiritual walk, that can happen a lot. But as we grow, as we mature, we're seeing things that God wants to get done in the world. And we're getting excited about those, and we're asking for what we need to to help him make those things you know to work with him on those things helping him is not the right term but to work alongside him right as his as his co-workers so so the apostles pray and i think it's acts chapter three um when they've been beaten dragged before the authorities and and told not to preach in jesus name anymore they don't come home and ask um you know to get out of persecution they don't ask for you know a big break um that that you know, they get a chance to address a large number of people or something like that. They ask that they'll be given boldness to speak the word of God. Um, that's what they want the spirit to be working for so that they can, so that they can spread this message effectively because they know that's what God wants. 
And those are the places we can pray in faith and know that God will come through for us is when we're, when our focus is the same place God's focus is in the world rather than on our own individual um, agendas. Mm-hmm. There's a healing that I believed for years was going to happen that, and there was a lot of people that believed it was going to happen. And to this day, and maybe I'm crazy, but to this day, I believe that God intended to heal that person, but that he didn't because if he had, the whole group of people would have become completely insufferable. And that would have been the proof that they were right about everything. And, and I also believe that that's, that that's why that healing didn't happen. Um, I don't like, I can't prove it. Obviously I haven't had this conversation with God where he's open to heavens and reveal that to me. But I do think there's sometimes where, where people look to miracles instead of just as a, as, as a doing God's work as an endorsement that everybody needs to shut up, listen to them. Mm-hmm. I, I was in an, I was in a situation at one point like that too, where, you know, that there, there had been some major breakthroughs in a church situation where I was in some cases they, they viewed as demon possession. I don't know in hindsight, I wasn't involved closely enough, but um, I was there, you know, for some of the late night prayer meetings and so on. It's the kind of stuff Matthew's talking about. And they had seen some real breakthroughs in cases that other churches had failed to solve. And they all, there already was a very strong mindset. Like we're spirit filled. We, you know, we've been a sense of being enlightened and other people that we came from aren't getting it. And, and, and a sense that word was going out that this is the place you send people that have problems. Other people can't solve. Um, And it all just kind of unraveled. And, and I think in most ways, the people that were trying to be helped in that situation ended up in a worse situation by the end of it than they were to start with. There just was no ultimate long-term progress. And it, and, and it was excruciating to watch because people cared so much and they spent so many resources, you know, over a period of months. Um, it, it, it was just, you know, just a, an excruciating experience that bore no fruit. Um, and I felt kind of the same way at the time. Like, I think it would have been bad for us spiritually in this congregation to have succeeded. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Titus? Wrap us up. You're muted. I was saying it's all good stuff. Um one, one last thought, like I think that the miracles are also a sign of new creation. So it's a little pocket of what the new heavens and the new earth are going to look like when there's no more um, mental health problems or demon possession or sickness. Uh, I think that's what Jesus was doing when, you know, he announced the kingdom is here. Here's what the kingdom looks like. It's sick people are healed. Um, the lame walk, the blind see. Um, so yeah, just one little, one little nugget from the treasure chest here to, to close us out. That's a good one. All right. Thanks everybody. It's been good. It's been good. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Good chat. Thanks. Uh, glad you could join us, Raphael. Great to be here. Yeah. Keep it growing. See how long Dean lets it grow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Good night. Have a good night. Good night.